Amen. Good morning, everyone. Praise God. Have a seat for a moment. We're going to pray, so don't get too comfortable. Um, it's time for us to pray for our people. And this morning, we have with us Pastor Marvin Daniels, the executive director of the Hope Center from our inner city, our brothers and sisters. So, Pastor Marvin, if you would come up with us. Pastor Marvin will be telling the story this morning, bringing us the word. And I'm just going to say, stand out in the lobby afterwards. People are like, you know, that pastor... They didn't want to say it this way, but he's better than you. So, you know, I'm kind of like, all right, I get it. I understand. Like, well, he speaks slower than you. That's, that was what they're trying to say. So you got that coming at you, so prepare for your heart to be moved. Um, uh, we were uh, first service. I asked you, let's pray for the people, and I asked you, what shall we be praying for? Yes. And we said. Uh, one of the major factors that we really desire prayer for is to make sure that um, our families, God has been doing some tremendous things among our families over there on the east side of Kansas City. But we recognize that the enemy still desires to fragment, destroy, and separate our families. So, so we, family. we need prayer for our families. Prayer for family? What Secondly, else? Secondly, we need the opportunity to see shalom in our community. Shalom. The peace of God to reside in our community in the midst of violence. Amen. And then thirdly, we want to occupy. We desire to extend um, just our borders and our boundaries. There are places that we need to acquire in order for us to extend our, our reach of ministry. So this, this means the empty lots, the abandoned houses. Yes, the, the empty lots, the abandoned the land houses. land down around the Hope Center. Absolutely. And we've all been a part of trying to acquire lots and land. You guys own and, and Lakeland has really helped us in the foundational stages of those acquisitions. But now we really want to create sustainability in right. our communities. All right, let's pray for these things. Lord, the Father whose hand is open to us and is just saying, I have put desires in your heart. Yes. Tell me what you want. I am not stingy. And so, God, we ask that there would be strong families hmm. here yes. in, in this community, in this church, yes. in, in Lee Summit, in Jackson County, as well as in the inner city. It is key, Lord, and we ask that there would be a strong male figure in each household, hmm. somebody who is there, somebody who is a breadwinner, somebody who puts food on the table, and create stability for children that generation to generation will grow up in a strong household. We ask this, Lord. And with that, Lord, the second thing we ask for is your peace, shalom, yes. that there would be prosperity, that people would understand that you are the good shepherd and that they can lie down because you are present and that we pray that that peace would come and that prosperity would be a part of that community as well as our own. And, Lord, we also then pray for the land down around the Hope Center. We pray for the land to be taken back yes. from its poverty, from its impoverishment, and from its abandonment. We pray, Lord, that there would be homes with houses on them and homeowners down there. Yes. And that it would become a vital neighborhood again and breathe life back into the east side of the city. Yes. And we pray, God, for the Hope Center, that as its role down there, that it would be a, a, a beacon of light. And that that gives hope, just as it's done so much over the last few years down there. We pray that you would bless them, give them courage, make them brave, give them strength, and that we would partner with them, and that we are all in solidarity. In the name of Jesus Christ, we ask this, and we all said, amen. amen. Thank you, Chris, and the worship team. Praise the Lord for you today. To the Lakeland family, thank you so much for the privilege and opportunity to be here with you. Um, let me just say that it's always a joy when I come back to, to Lakeland and just God has used you through a, a visionary leader to extend your reach 
into the hood of, of Linwood and Benton Boulevard. So we are so grateful uh, for you as a congregation, but also Pastor Dan, just you as a leader. So thank you so much. Um, I get the privilege uh, of proclaiming God's word today, which I am grateful for, but I do want you to know that I, I don't come alone. Um, my Carmel Queen of 26 years is there with me today, uh, Angie Daniels, and through this 26 years, amen. Um, it's through these 26 years of, of marriage that um, as we started off as youth workers that God has given us five children, three sons and two daughters. Our two daughters are here with us today, but our three sons are in college. And um, some people say, oh, five kids? Yeah, some people talk about youth ministry. We decided to implement it. So uh, if you have your Bibles, would you turn to or turn on to the book of Luke? The book of Luke, the seventh chapter, will be the context um, of our sermon today. And we will come from a question that stems out of the text. And that question is, are you the one? See, we all have expectations, each and every one of us. Um, how many of you have known people to say, you got to go see this movie, you got to go see this movie, and you went to see the movie and it was a dud, right? Um, it, we have an expectation that if we smell a meal that smells good, that it ought to taste good, right? That's an expectation. We have an expectation that if we go to work, we ought to be paid for what we work. Sometimes men have had this experience where they had an expectation of seeing a young lady from the back, but it didn't match in the front. You know, they've had that expectation. There's been expectations that women have. They saw these, this chiseled, handsome guy that they already dreamed that that's going to be my husband. And that would have been the case until he opened his mouth and their expectations were lost. When my wife comes out of the bathroom and she's smelling like bed, bath, and body and beyond, you know, and she comes home and she says, good night, honey, and I say, yeah, it's about to be. There's an expectation uh, that we have. We all have expectations together. And in this particular text, what really comes about is that when our expectations are not met, there are oftentimes you and I will always experience some frustrations or disappointments. And sometimes, you know, frustrations can lead to temptations. And then temptation can also lead for us areas of aggravation uh, that will come about. And then sometimes we find ourselves drifting as a result. But in Luke chapter 7, God gives us a caption from the life of John that helps you and I to begin to examine our own questions that we've had as well. Would you pray with me just for a moment? Father, thank you so much for this time that you've given us together. Thank you for your word. And I pray that you would use it to encourage our hearts, challenge our hearts, remind us, Lord God, of who you are and who you're not. Uh, God, would you continue to utilize your word to spur us on to the works that you've already prepared as your workmanship in advance for us to do? And so, God, we pray, Lord God, that today... You, we will not be left the same. In Jesus' name, and together the body of Christ says. In Luke chapter 7, we're told that John's disciples approach, approach him, and he's located in prison. We're told in verse 18 that John's disciples told him about these Things. In order for you and I to be, even begin to understand what these things 
meant. We need to begin to understand why John was in prison in the first place. In Matthew chapter 14, we find why John was in prison. Starting at verse 3, it says, Now Herod had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. For John had been saying to him, it is not lawful, it is not right, it is not moral for you to have her. Herod wanted him, wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people because they considered him a prophet. As John is sitting in prison because of his truth-telling against Herod's immorality, he's there and his disciples come And his disciples tell him about what Jesus had been doing prior as he's sitting there in jail. In Luke chapter 7, we find that what Jesus was doing in Capernaum was as he was in the city, there was a centurion that he was told whose servant was ill and close to dying. As he asked Jesus if he would come to his home to heal his servant. Jesus is going to the centurion's servant Uh, the centurion's home because of a couple of things. One is because this centurion has um, been one who had professed faith in Jesus himself and in in Jesus' authority on this earth, so much so that as a Roman citizen, he helped to build the Jewish temples for the Jews to worship in. So as Jesus was approaching him, he sent out another delegation of servants to tell Jesus, listen, I am a man who is in authority, and I have individuals that I tell what to do, and they do it. However, I'm not even worthy for you to enter into my home. So if you would just say the word, my servant would be healed. And what Jesus says, I have not seen such great faith in all of Rome, and his servant was healed at that moment. Jesus then moves on south, and he goes to a place called Nain. And as he's there in Nain, there he approaches the entry of the gate of the city, and he sees there's a funeral procession. There is a widower who lost her son. And now she's not only in pain, but she's in tears because the one individual who is caring for her is no longer with her. As the funeral procession is taking place, Jesus comes to within the funeral to the pallbearers, touch the casket, allow them to sit the casket down, and he tells the young man that is in the casket to rise up. The young man comes up out of a funeral casket, and he approaches his mother and hugs her, and there's great joy that is taking place, and people are in awe. I believe you and I would be as well, would we not? They are in awe. And then they say this as they are spreading the word about Jesus around the town, that God has come to help his people. John is sitting in prison on death row. His disciples are telling him about all these things that Jesus has done. And John asked a question, and this is a profound question. It's a question that you and I ask, rather we ask it verbally out loud or inwardly. The question he asked is found in verse 19. He says, calling two of his disciples to himself, 
he sent them to the Lord to ask this question. Are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Now, normally we don't, questions is not difficult for us to ask, but it's the individual who's asking this question that ought to bring attention to this text. We're talking about John. In Luke chapter 1, verse 15, we're told that even from birth, John was filled with the Spirit. We're told in verse 41, when Elizabeth and Mary were coming together for a meeting, that in Elizabeth's belly, John leaped because of the presence of Jesus. This is John. In Luke chapter 3, John was teaching and preaching about repentance and the one that is to come. But many of them thought that he was the Messiah. And, Jesus, and John reminded them, no, the one who is to come will be the Messiah. And I can't even tie his sandals. In Luke chapter 3, we find John the Baptist baptizing those who came to repentance. And then Jesus comes and requires John to baptize him, validating John's preaching and teaching. So is John. The one who's always been faithful, John, who's asking this question. Jesus, you taking care of everybody else, but what about me? Have you been there before? Have you ever asked that question before? That is in that point of crisis where we ask ourselves, Lord, are you the one? Or should I be looking for somebody else? You know, several years ago when I was here at, in Kansas City going to Nazarene Theological Seminary, I, when I was doing my master's in urban missiology, upon completion, I went to the city of Chicago. And I was serving with the Salvation Army as their C- senior program manager responsible for 27 programs within that particular corps. I had moved in the neighborhood, and as I was living on the third floor, everything that I owned was in boxes, three boxes. I decided to go before I went to work just to the grocery store, the neighborhood grocery store, get, you know, some bologna and cheese, some bread and a, a, a gallon of apple juice, put it in my refrigerator, and then I headed on to work. I stayed a little bit later that night because I wanted to just get familiar with my job, familiar with the people that I was working with and the tasks that were before me. I went home uh, later that night. It was around 10 p.m., and I opened the door of my apartment, and I walk in, and I see all the boxes that I had laid around weren't there. So I just closed the door a little bit just to make sure I was in the right apartment. And then I come in and I realize as I'm standing there that I've been robbed. Now, I'm from Brooklyn, New York, in a section called Bed Stuy. I used to rob people. I've never been robbed. So I'm standing right here <laughs> and I'm saying to myself, Lord God, I, I, I'm, I've been robbed. But I was, I was okay. I was, you know, I was just going to collect my thoughts. And so I went to the refrigerator just to make me a sandwich and a snack. And I noticed that my bread and, and bologna and cheese were gone. And then as I looked further in the refrigerator, I noticed that my apple juice, that these guys drunk my apple juice. Now, uh, everything would have been all right, but they left a drop. You know what it's like when somebody <laughs> leaves a drop. You know, and so I got angry because my, my mind just began to, to picture these guys sitting down, you know, on my boxes, fixing themselves bologna and cheese sandwiches, talking about how they're going to rob me, drinking apple juice. And I go to my bedroom 
And I see that they took all my clothes and even ate the candy, the gift box of candy that they gave me. All the wrappers were on the floor. And then I just lost it at this time. I just said, oh, no. I went and I got uh, the bar that was holding up. It was a metal bar that was holding up my shower curtain. I took that thing down, y'all, and I went, I'm ashamed to say, but I went door to door, not to evangelize, but I went door to door. <laughs> And if anybody had showed and opened that door and had anything that belonged to me, I would be in a different ministry right now. I I would. I had left, and I went down just to collect my thoughts to the neighborhood store. I ordered a Country Time lemonade and a cheeseburger with fried onions on it. And I sat there, and I said to myself, Lord, this don't make no sense. Uh, Since I'm being honest, I added an adjective. And and, and as I was there, I said, are you really the one? Or should I be looking for somebody else? Is this how you treat those who come to serve you? Is this how it's going to be for those of us who want to be faithful to you, God? I mean, I'm I'm sitting there and I realize the only thing I have is what I have. And then there was a phrase that I used to teach these young people that came about that the Spirit of God just brought to me. It says, Marvin, if you own something that you can't give up anytime, anyplace, anywhere, you don't own it. It owns you. And I said to myself, shut up. Ain't nobody want to hear that. Nobody want to hear that. And then I was grateful that I worked for the Salvation Army. So there are times in our lives, y'all, that that question comes about, that we begin to, the wonder in the midst of crisis. I don't struggle with God. Most Christians don't struggle with who Christ is, but we do struggle at times and most often with the whys of God. God, why do I have to get robbed? God, why do the individuals that I love so much have to die? God, why does this seven-year-old and six-year-old get fired upon by a drive-by? God, why did I not get the job that I've been praying diligently for and qualified for? God, why, why did my spouse have to cheat on me? God, why did my child have to go astray? God, why? And we have these, at these points of crisis, we ask this question that John asks. Are you the one? Should we be looking for somebody else? Verse 20 tells us that when the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus had cured many who had diseases, those who had sicknesses and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, you go back and you report to John that what you have seen and what you have heard, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and good news is being proclaimed to the poor. He says, you go back and you tell John that everything that he was been preparing for is coming to fruition. Isaiah 61 is being fulfilled 
to your heirs. Luke 4.18 is being fulfilled right now that Jesus is the proof by his healing. There's proof in his delivering. There's proof that he is the one who was raising. There's proof in his preaching. You don't have to look for somebody else, John. I am the one. I am the one. Oftentimes, we, we, we will notice that Christ will never explain himself, but he will reveal himself. He tells the crowd, and he looks at the crowd who was gathered, those who are being healed, those who are being restored, those who are being raised up. But Jesus says these words in verse 23. Blessed is anyone who does not fall away on account of me. He uses this Greek word, scandalazio, same word we get scandalized from. He says, blessed are you who do not deny me. Blessed are you who do not stumble. Blessed are those who are not offended or commit sin because of their expectation of me. David was offended by God. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 10, because of David's adultery and David's, David's treachery, he was offended by God's severity in his life. Nathan the prophet told him in 2 Samuel eleven ten that the sword, David, will never leave your house. The discipline of God will never leave your house, David. Jonah understood what that meant. Jonah was offended by God because of God's mercy. In Jonah 4, 1 through 3, he was displeased because the Ninevites came to know Jesus through his proclamation. He was not only displeased with God, but he was angry with God. He was offended by God's mercy. And you can understand that. The Ninevites were ruthless. They were known at that time as the, the, the most ruthless gangbangers that lived in all of Asia. These were kind of men that would come in when they would come through a war or would raid a city or town and they would rape women, slave the children, kill the men, skin their, their skin off their bodies, cut their head off, put them on posts and let people know that the Ninevites were here. God said, Jonah, I want you to preach to them. And Jonah in obedience finally goes and preaches to them and they come to know Jesus. And Jonah was offended by God's mercy. Martha was offended by Christ's delay. In John eleven twenty one, she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother Lazarus would not have died. And she was offended by Christ's delay. I don't know about you, but I've had those experiences in my own life. What offends you? What is it about God, your expectation of Christ? that offends you, especially if you've been praying, it seems like heaven is silent or God has went AWOL on your prayers. When I was in seminary, I had, it was a real hot day and I just got out of class from the doctrine of holiness. And I was going to the neighborhood store just to get something to drink and I like cranberry juice. And so I went, got reaching the very rare, got the coldest cranberry juice I could find, put it on the counter, and I did. I went in and reached in my back pocket as I'm doing right now, and I opened it up to pay, and all he heard was an echo. 
uh, so I just told him, hey, could you just leave that right there? And I'm just going right around the corner to the ATM machine and just get, a, a, get some money, and I'll be right back. So I run around to the ATM machine, and I put my card in, and I promise you, the ATM machine says, Peter, I know, Paul, I know, but who are you? And threw the card right back at me. And I realized I was broke. And so I'm walking away, I'm hot, my mouth is dry. You know how you anticipate something that just did not happen for you? And I'm walking away, and then I see down the street these guys who are gathered together, gang members and, and drug dealers, and I start thinking to myself, see, God, I'm broke. I might as well just go to this drug dealer and ask him if I can make a delivery for him for $50. I don't have no money in my pocket. And I'm having this conversation after I've left the class on the Doctrine of Holiness. And finally, when I captured my own thoughts, I, I walk away and I go back to my apartment and inside the door of my apartment is a bag filled with grocery. And then there was a card in it that says, we were just thinking about you. No signature, but just a crisp $100 bill. And I just said, Lord, would you forgive me? Forgive me for doubting you. Forgive me for not trusting you when I needed to trust you. Just remind me, Marvin, I am the one. You don't need to be looking for somebody else. Unfortunately, I like to say this ended well for John. But Matthew chapter 14, beginning at verse 6, tells us something different. On Herod's birthday... The daughter of Herodias danced for the guests and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Prompted by her mother, she said, give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. The king was distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he ordered that her request be granted and had John beheaded in the prison. His head was brought in on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to her mother. John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. In Luke chapter 7, verse 24, when John's messengers leave, Jesus addressed the crowd. And he shares with the crowd John's eulogy. This is not going to be one of those deals where something good is going to happen on John's behalf. And he says, after John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the desert to see, they asked. He asked, was it a reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? Was it a man that was dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury, they are located in palaces. But what did you go out to see? Was it a prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one whom it is written that I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Malachi 3.1. Then verse 28, he says, I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater 
than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is the one that is greater than him. Jesus says, let me tell you about John. As he was going through John's legacy, he shared about John's likeness. He was a prophet proclaiming truth. He shared about John's loyalty. He wasn't one that was sitting in the palace. He was one that was crying out in the wilderness about the one who is to come, the Messiah that is to come. Then he shared about John's legacy. He says, no, that's not a happy ending for John. But there's no one that will ever be greater than John. The only man that, in history that will be greater than John, Jesus says, is himself. John had a tremendous legacy. There's a hymn that is entitled, Trust Him When Thy Wants Are Many. And it goes like this. Trust him when your wants are many. Trust him when your friends are few. And the time of swift temptation is the time to trust him too. Trust him when dark doubts assail thee. Trust him when your strength is small. Trust him when you simply trust him. It seems to be the hardest thing of all. Trust him, for he is ever faithful. Trust him, for his will is best. Trust him, for the heart of Jesus is the only place for a person to rest. Are you the one? Jesus says, you don't need to be looking for nobody else. On this cold December day, it was a cold December day, in the city of Chicago where my wife and I were living and we had small children at the time. And, and we heard, a, it was 3 o'clock in the morning, we were both awake at the same time, we were talking when we heard this large, loud explosion. I'd get up and I'd run to the back of the house to look and see what was going on. And I could hear the footsteps and shadows of two guys running. And then we heard screaming out, and so we go running outside the house, and we notice one of our neighbor's homes are on fire. And so he goes out, and he, he's trying to get all his, his kids out. The, the mother's trying to get all the kids out, and, 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 and everybody's... Is, safely across the street, so we thought, as we're talking to several of them, and the house is engulfed in flames. And then we see the father running on the side of the house, and he's having this conversation with his son. His son is, he's trying to tell his son, son, I need you to jump. Son, I need you to jump now. And, and the flames getting closer and closer to the son, but the son said, daddy, I can't see you. I can't see you. He says, son, I can see you. Now jump. Your daddy will catch you. I want you to know that sometimes on our spiritual journey that there might be smoke in our life. Our lives in our journey may get real cloudy and we can't see it clearly. But Jesus says, I want you to jump, not because you can see him, but because he can see you and daddy's willing to catch you. Are you the one? Jesus says, I am the one. You don't need nobody else. 